Welcome to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden, primary care physician and acute care hospitalist at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis, where we cover the latest in health, healthcare, and what matters to you. And now here's your host, Dr. David Hilden. Hey, everybody, it's Dr. David Hilden back with episode 13 of the Healthy Matters Podcast. Today, I've invited Dr. of Pharmacy Lori Wilhite to talk about medications and all things that a pharmacist would know. It's going to be a great show, so let's get to it. Lori, welcome to the show, and thanks for being here. Happy to be here, Dr. Hilden. Thank you. Tell me for a minute, you're a pharmacist, but pharmacists do a variety of things. I'm calling you a pharmacist. At work, we often call you a PharmD. That's what we refer to. Many people listening probably know their pharmacist as the person that's in the store where they go and they in mm-hmm. a retail pharmacist. So mm-hmm. that's a lot of that's kind of a wide range. Lori, what is a PharmD? And how does a PharmD fit into the staff of a hospital? A PharmD is a doctor of pharmacy. We are pharmacists. And we are the doctors of our profession. So we are the doctors of medication. Um, how we fit into the hospital is the the backbone of really medication use in the hospital is what goes on in our inpatient pharmacy. All the IVs and all of the doses of medication that go out and all of the drug shortages that we deal with and try to mitigate are all in the pharmacist realm. We have PharmDs up on the patient care units that Dr. Hilden, I'm sure you know many of our... I know them by name. Yes, yes. Um, They've pulled my fanny out of the fire more times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and um, those PharmDs are up in the units, you know, consulting, um, answering questions, making suggestions for perhaps appropriate antibiotic therapy or talking about a drug interaction, or we have some new um, PharmDs up on the units that are trying to plan very carefully for patients that are going home from the hospital, what we call transitions of care. So making sure that when the medication leaves the hospital, that number one, you know, the patient can afford it, knows how to take it, is set up with the pharmacy has the follow-up appointments in place, and that's been super beneficial. We have PharmDs in our clinics that see patients and go through their medications and make sure that they're using them appropriately. Uh, And then we have PharmDs all over in our community pharmacies as well. So you might, if you go to Whittier Clinic or Brooklyn Park or Richfield, we have uh, pharmacists embedded there. And the providers in those clinics know those pharmacists by name. It strikes me, uh, um, for listeners, your healthcare team is more than the doctor you're seeing in front of you. And mm-hmm. if, if you're at a place where it is just your doctor in front of you, that's not a very robust healthcare team. We have mm. a, teams of other professionals, and I'm so thankful for our PharmDs at Hennepin, I can't even tell you. So, oh, that's um, so, very kind. Yeah, it's a great team of care. And, and that's not just at my organization. They have um, yes. PharmDs all over. So yeah. thanks for that. You also have an expertise in opioids, correct? Yes. Um, I, uh, along with a physician partner, Dr. Resnikoff, who I know has been on the podcast with you he as has. well. Yes. Oh, oh that, that's handy of you. Yeah. yeah. For, for listeners, go back to episode three where we did an, an opioid episode with Dr. Charlie Resnikoff. That's right. Yes. Uh, for several years now, I've been involved in the pain clinic at Hennepin and Working there and throughout the organization just to, again, promote safe and effective use of uh, opioid pain medication. Medication safety. So, so first of all, a lot of people take medications. Mm-hmm. I imagine that there's all kinds of ways in which they could be misused accidentally, intentionally. Uh, uh, what kind of things do you, do you see? 
at home, you know, it's it can be difficult sometimes to keep track of everything that you're taking. And it can be easy to leave things in the medicine cabinet or maybe store away medications that your doctor stopped. And so it's just super important to, you know, store your medications properly so that perhaps when your grandkids come over that they don't start rooting around in your purse for some gum and instead, you know, find your uh, blood pressure medicine, which can be very scary if a child even takes a single pill. I also, you know, really promote the use of pillboxes because I think it's a great adherence tool. I use a pillbox myself for the little handful of medicines that I take, and it really helps me remember to take my medication. So I bet a lot of people listening are, they could go to their medicine cabinet right now and see a hodgepodge. Mm. There might be some vitamins they bought down at Target 15 years ago in some scuzzy old bottle. There might be some prescription drugs, some of which they take, some of which they don't. Mm -hmm. And none of them have names that anybody really knows what they are, mm-hmm. what they what they uh, were used for. I'm amazed anybody takes their medications correctly. And here's the deal: I prescribe them, and <laughs> and I think that uh, if I had to take them, I think I'd struggle to take my pills correctly and to yeah. store them correctly. And right. when do you throw them out? And and all of that stuff is really really complicated. You mentioned pill boxes. How uh-huh. does how does that help? What is a what is a pillbox other than a hat that Jackie Onassis used to wear? <laughs> Tell me what a pillbox really is. Yeah. So, um, you know, you can buy them on Amazon. You can buy them at your local pharmacy. Your doctor's office might have some. And it's just a way to get your medication together and then just put in each one of those slots the medication that you're supposed to take. So, And they're marked with the days of the week exactly. or something? Exactly. Marked with the days of the week, and they might be you know, marked uh, morning, evening, bedtime. Honestly, right, we're all so busy. It's, it's easy to kind of wake up in the morning and take your medication, but then, you know, sometimes people fall asleep and they wake back up again. They're like, did I take my Did I take it? Not? I don't even know if I'd have to fall back asleep. Yeah, I'd get up right? and I'd take one, then you go brush your teeth, you get dressed, you read the paper, and it's like, dang, did I take my med? That's what led me to get a pill box. Really? Yeah, because you're, like, you're doubling up and you're missing doses. I heard, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that the... Uh, there was a study some years ago that the the one type of medication that the highest compliance or the people take the most accurately mm. was of all things birth control pills because mm. it came in a little round thing and mm-hmm. you just took each day mm-hmm. but and the patients, women who were taking them, were very um, motivated to have them work yes. because they it was so. And even that, even then, with them all in, in a nicely labeled monthly format with all mm. the days of the week, and even in a highly motivated patient, still it was only something like I don't remember the number, but it was not a hundred percent accurate taking. People only took them accurately seventy or eighty percent of the time. Wow. So, and that was for that very controlled and motivated group of patients. I can't imagine someone who's got a half. A a dozen medications in various bottles from the pharmacy, right. how you would ever take them correctly. Right. Yeah, it can be challenging for sure. So, you know, that kind of goes into the question of talking to your doctor on a regular basis to make sure that, do I really need to be on these medications? Like, oh, my doctor might have prescribed gabapentin for my back pain. Is it really helping? You know, talk to your doctor about that. It's don't put your medications on autopilot, I suppose, is what I would say. I love that point, Lori. And if we, I want to delve into that a little bit more, shift to that about discontinuing medications. Because as a doctor, I prescribe many of the medications that my patients are on, but they might see five or six or seven other doctors. Mm-hmm. Somebody else started something. I don't know what it's there for. 
before, so I let it go. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's lazy. I don't know, but but it it's hard to know. And yeah. patients aren't sure why they're taking them. They yeah. got them from a number of different places. Mm-hmm. As a pharmacist, I'll bet you see that all the time because you also deal with patients. You you're not a retail pharmacist. You work in a hospital. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a great tip for patients and for the people like me who prescribe the drugs to pay attention to to them and ask, really, if you don't know why you're taking it, maybe you should ask. Yes, absolutely. The more that you know about your medications, the better. And then just make sure that your doctor and pharmacist are on the same page in terms of everything that you take, especially, you know, your primary care doctor. Mm-hmm. So we've had two good tips already. Number one, pillboxes and ways to manage the medications you might Mm -hmm. have at home. Number two, ask your doctor or whoever or your pharmacist Mm -hmm. what your medications are and why you might need to be on them. Maybe you don't need to be on all of them. I was at a medical conference just three days ago in Washington. And they, one of the slides they were showing, we were talking about advocacy and policy. And one of the things they were talking about was the most trusted professions in healthcare. Number one, nurses. Mm. Number two, it was pharmacists. Mm. And number three was the doctors. Now, we were close. <laughs> we were close. But uh, your, your profession uh, um, out, outrates us in being trusted. Now, when we're talking with Lori Wilhite. She is a PharmD, a doctor of pharmacy, a pharmacist at Hennepin Healthcare with me. When we come back from the break, we're going to get into one of her specialty areas. That is the opioid epidemic and things you need to know about that. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden. Have a question or a comment for the doctor? Become a part of our show by reaching out to us at healthymatters at hcmed.org or give us a call at 612-873-TALK. That's 612-873-8255. And now let's get back to more healthy conversation. And we're back talking with Lori Wilhite, pharmacist at Hennepin Healthcare. Opioids, the opioid epidemic. And and listeners, if you missed it earlier, we do have an episode, episode three, where I talk about the opioid epidemic with Charlie Reznikoff, an addiction doctor. I want to talk to you specifically about your thoughts about, A, how did we get here? And B, what ought we to be doing now about the opioid epidemic? So how did we get here? How is it that opioid overdoses are so common? Well, over and over again, we hear that um, I think a lot of us were really naive about the risks of opioids in the 90s. And we were, you know, very susceptible, honestly, to some misinformation from some of the pharmaceutical companies about the addictive potential of opioids and when they should be used. But a big part of that, you know, a big part of the blame should be laid on, I feel like, healthcare professionals for swallowing that, right? We need to be more critical thinkers. Um, Drug companies sell drugs. That's what they do. You know, we're the ones that should be looking out for patients. So definitely opioids were overprescribed. They were prescribed for chronic pain conditions where opioids aren't effective, and a lot of people became dependent on them. Uh, and some of those people developed an addiction, unfortunately. So there was sort of another phase of the opioid epidemic when we were really trying to taper people off of their pain medicine, or maybe um, some providers were stopping opioids. Essentially, things got a little bit more dangerous because people were still dependent or and sometimes addicted, not always, on these medications and began seeking medication on the streets. So, um, What's the difference between being dependent and being addicted? So 
our bodies respond to these medications. We become used to them, our bodies and our brains become used to them being around as part of the mix. And if you stop taking them suddenly, you can have vomiting and feel sweaty and feel sick. And um, so that's a, what we call withdrawal. So dependent just means your body has just become used to the medication. Um, addiction is when you maybe misuse the medication by taking too much or you kind of get into circumstances where you're using it for something other than pain. Maybe you're using it, you know, to treat um, like an emotional issue or maybe your bad things are happening in your life. You know, you're um, maybe getting into trouble with your job or you're doing dangerous things like injecting and um, you're continuing to use, I guess, despite bad things happening. So I, I hear you. I, I hear you. And I, I concur with your earlier comments. Um, there's a lot of reasons we got here, I believe, but the healthcare community is, is um, uh, part of that, mm-hmm. maybe at the big part of that. Patients simply were seeking relief for the pain. Right, And we were, I remember 20 years ago, sitting in what thankfully doesn't happen anymore, but we'd have drug representatives telling mm. us, if your patients have pain, they cannot become addicted, use mm-hmm. these medications. Mm-hmm. And, and that's to their discredit that they were doing that. But it's to our healthcare community's discredit that, like you said, we, weren't, we didn't think critically enough about that. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we, I told, uh, I remember telling patients, this is okay, you don't have cancer, terminal illness, you mm-hmm. don't have some horrible thing, mm-hmm. uh, you, you hurt your back and here's an opioid to help that. That, in hindsight, was not the right way to go. And patients, they, they listened to their doctors and, and they, they took the medications and we got to this point. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I want to talk about what we do about it now and I'm going to mm-hmm. frame it with this. 20 minutes before coming in to meet you to do this podcast, I'm driving down a Minneapolis street and there's a huge billboard and it says, Naloxone reverses opioid overdose. What is naloxone and what was that billboard about? Yeah. Naloxone is a, is a magical drug that reverses the effects of an opioid overdose. It's very easy to administer. You can get a nasal spray from your pharmacist. There are a number of community organizations that have free naloxone kits that you can carry. I carry naloxone. I have Do you it. carry one? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I have one in my medicine cabinet at home. Um, my kids have one. I And whenever I have friends that are um, graduating from high school, I give them a Narcan kit, send them down to send them to college with it just in case. Yeah, so tell me more about that. So you you're you just you and your family members carry a naloxone. Mm-hmm. And, and and the the idea being if you are in a situation mm-hmm. where you are a loved one or just someone you happen to see mm-hmm. is overdosing, you'll have it. Exactly. Because minutes count, opioids um, in overdose stop breathing, and there's not a whole lot of time for first responders to get there. So um, the more naloxone out in the community, the better. Is it? Uh, is there any way uh, that it can be used unsafely? I mean, let, let's say uh, I've got a naloxone, or, uh, mm-hmm. and I see somebody who's not doesn't appear to be breathing, has passed out, and I believe they've uh, overdosed on opioids. Mm-hmm. And I give it to them. What if I was wrong and they were there? They had something else. And yeah, it, it, was it unsafe to give someone naloxone if they're not experiencing an overdose? That is a safe thing to do because when right when someone's passed out and not breathing, you don't know what they took. Maybe they drank too much alcohol. Maybe they took an opioid. Maybe they took another drug. It's perfectly safe to give naloxone. It's not going to hurt the person. How how do you give it? Um, one of the easiest ways to give it is with this little with a little nasal spray. 
And that, I think, is super slick for people that aren't used to maybe drying up medications from a vial and administering them uh, in a syringe with a needle like into the thigh. But, you know, on the other hand, it's very teachable also to draw it up from a syringe and give it uh, in the thigh intramuscularly. So I'm going to put a little plug in for an organization I'm on the board of, the Steve Rumler Hope Network. Uh, we distribute free naloxone and training throughout the community, the whole state of Minnesota. So Google Steve Rumler Hope Network. Can you and, spell it? Yeah. Steve and then Rumler, R-U-M-M-L-E-R, Hope Network. Steve Rumler Hope Network. I've yeah. heard of this. And yeah. so I, w- I was going to say, where, do, where does one get this? Let's mm-hmm. say I have a loved one or a family member. I'm listening to the podcast now and they are taking an opioid or mm-hmm. maybe they have a, a substance use disorder and they, they are, um, uh, they're using street drugs. And I'm worried about them. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about saving their life if the need comes up. Where do I get naloxone? Do I, you know, it's not for me. I want to have it on hand and in yeah. my glove compartment because my loved one is at risk. Where yes. do I get it? Uh, there's a couple different ways to get it. One is you can actually call up your pharmacist, call Walgreens and say, hey, could you get a Narcan nasal spray prescription ready for me? And, and that's they, the name of it, Narcan. Mm-hmm, yep. And they can even run it through your insurance. So it's covered like any other prescription drug. Some people would rather have like a free kit kind of off the books. And um, for that, I would Google Steve Rumler Hope Network and we can get you set up. Great tips there. The opioid uh, epidemic is big. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to shift gears. Let's talk about a couple other things around medications before we go to a few listener calls. Are Are you okay with a few listener calls? Sounds great. Okay. Before we do that... Prescription drugs just in general, we're off opioids now. Mm-hmm. Some people take zero, some take one, some take 25. How many, how, how many prescriptions do people generally take? The average American adult takes four prescription medications. Four? four. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I wonder what they are. I wonder if they're for their heart. Or, you know, I, I'm trying to think of what I prescribe the most. I, let me guess. And I don't know if you know this, but I, uh-huh. uh, here's what I prescribe a ton of in uh-huh. primary care. Tons of diabetes meds, mm. tons of blood pressure meds, mm-hmm. tons of cholesterol meds, mm-hmm. tons of antidepressants. Yeah. Are they in there? What, what are the top, do you know, what are the top yeah. like, groups of medications that people take? Yes. Um, you know, antidepressants are not in the top 10. They're not. Oh, interesting. Okay. But they are commonly prescribed. Another one would be like a asthma inhalers, like albuterol. Oh, I forgot about those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number 10 is um, a pain medication called hydrocodone and acetaminophen. Vicodin. Right, Vicodin, Norco. That's in the top 10? Yep, that's number 10. It's number 10. I I don't write many of those, Laura. You'd be happy. (laughs) (laughs) I used to, not very much It's appropriate sometimes. And then um, gabapentin is in there too. Is it? Okay, that's another pain medication. Although that was developed as a a seizure medicine. Didn't do anything for seizures, I don't think. Not too much, no. Do you know what the number one drug is? Atorvastatin. It is. Atorvastatin mm-hmm. goes under the brand name Lipitor. Yep. That one doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Let's talk about statins for a minute. Yeah. I, I, I do a lot with statins. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll bet lots of listeners here have either are either taking a statin or have been told they're supposed to be. So the statins. Yeah. How do they work? What do they do? And can you answer this question that I hear a lot from people? I don't want to take a statin because they, they um, have all these side effects. Mm-hmm. Can you First of all, um, how do they work? And are those side effects true? So that's a class of medication that affects how 
cholesterol is formed, metabolized. Um, they're very extremely effective medications. We know that many people can't control their cholesterol through just diet and exercise, including Mr. Wilhite. <laughs> yeah. Someone been, in your family? Yep, he's been on atorvastatin for a long time. Yeah, so they're they're great drugs. They have prescribed to the right people. They have proven uh, benefits in improving mortality, so very important. Side effects, the most common ones, honestly, are probably upset stomach, and then the muscle aches can happen. Yeah, they but, can. I've said it's some. It yeah, can. Yeah. Right. But um, certainly, I don't think it's a reason to avoid taking the medication or at least trying it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I tell that to people. Um, you know, you could eat grass and pine nuts all day long, and your cholesterol can still be high because you know yeah. your liver is this manufacturing plant of cholesterol. It's not yeah. all what you eat, mm-hmm. and your risks of heart disease are astronomically much higher than any problems with statin. So I'm a, I'm of that camp. Although I don't like to say you must take medications for right. things. This is one that people often, if it's if you're if you're in the risk groups. I generally do kind of recommend those as yeah. well. Dr. Hilden, can I ask you a question? Yeah. So for those drugs like statins and blood pressure medicines and metformin, you know, there's some of the most important drugs that people should be taking every day if they're appropriate. And they're also some of the least kind of glamorous ones. And they don't, right, they don't have that immediate, mm-hmm. um, you know, benefit to them, right? So how do you get patients motivated to take those That's a really good question, Lori, because I say, okay, you can take this metformin, which is the one for diabetes. I would imagine that's a fairly highly prescribed one mm-hmm. because just about everybody with type 2 diabetes should be at least tried on metformin. And you're right, you don't get any effect right away. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, for adults, I tell them about the the, uh, the risk to their kidneys and mm-hmm. their heart and their uh, uh, and the diabetes is the cause of blindness and mm-hmm. kidney failure mm-hmm. and so probably the leading cause of leg amputations in this country and it all starts with taking that metformin. Mm-hmm. But those are really distant goals. So I, uh, that's a good question. I, I do just tell people about the, uh, the I get it, you're mm-hmm. not going to notice any benefit mm-hmm. to your day-to-day life, mm. but your long-term life is is gonna is gonna benefit from this. It is a hard one, though. Yeah, and motivational prescribing, I guess, mm. is what you're talking about. That's that is kind of that is kind of a hard one, right? What people do want, they want antibiotics a lot. Yes, and this is another thing we overdo, don't we? Yes, we do overdo antibiotics, and uh, you know, I think there's a lot of factors in that. I think we as patients sometimes kind of expect. If we go and see our doctor and we have, you know, a stuffy nose or our eyes look red and we think we might have pink eye or we have a sore throat. And that unfortunately has led to a lot of over prescribing, a lot of um, bacteria in our environment that have become resistant to antibiotics. So, But it takes five minutes to tell a patient why you don't need an antibiotic for your runny nose. Mm-hmm. And that's the right thing to do. And mm-hmm. that's what we should be doing. But it takes 20 seconds to write a prescription mm-hmm. for amoxicillin. Right. And fortunately, I think there is a little bit more knowledge out there. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the the way I can get people to not want an antibiotic is I tell them they're going to have C. diff. Oh. You know, so, so C. diff is a, is a is a Clostridioides difficile is a bacteria that lives in the intestines of many of us. And if you 
take antibiotics unnecessarily. It can kill off the good bacteria, only leaving C. diff, and you get the worst diarrhea you've ever had. So I tell people, you don't want to get that. Right. So no antibiotics for you. You don't want to get C. diff. That's a good That's a good motivator. Well, we've had a great conversation with Lori Wilhite, a pharmacist at Hennepin Healthcare. We've talked about a few issues. I hope you've learned some tips in there. What I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, Lori, we have some listeners who have sent in some questions, and maybe we can get to those now. Yeah. Okay, our first question is from Dave in Minneapolis. What's the main concern with expiration dates on prescriptions, and what's the best way to dispose of them once they're passed? I advise everyone to get rid of uh, any expired medication in the house. Do they break down? Do they become, is it dangerous, or are they just less effective, do you think? It's more of a potency issue, and um, so for that reason, I I recommend getting rid of them. And by getting rid of them, what I mean, um, you know, we try to keep all of this excess medication out of the environment. So flushing them down the toilet is a no-no? It's not optimal. It, it goes no. into the Mississippi River here. You know, right. You know, I don't yeah. know where it goes in the rest of the world, but right. it goes right. back into the environment. Yeah, it's, it's best to just gather things up in a plastic bag. And most pharmacies these days in the community, Walgreens, CVS, and our own Hennepin Healthcare pharmacies have a kiosk. It kind of looks like one of those bear-proof garbage cans mm-hmm. that you'll see mm-hmm. in, at campgrounds. Then it gets actually taken to a processing site. And it's safely disposed of somehow. Would you like to know how many pounds of medication we disposed of at our Hennepin Healthcare Pharmacy oh last year? No, okay, I have no idea. <laughs> pounds, we're into pounds. Yes, uh, it's equal to how much the starting lineup of the Minnesota Vikings weighs. <laughs> <laughs> So if you put the whole starting lineup on a scale, that's how many in pills. Yep, yep. Um, three thousand pounds. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a that's a mountain of pills. It sure is. It's a lot, and it's just great to get all of that out of people's medicine cabinets. You know what's really interesting about that is people think, well, who cares? I've got four pills. You know, who cares what I do with them? But in aggregate, we all have all that. It ends up to be three thousand pounds. Take them to the kiosk at your pharmacy. That's the best advice. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Thanks for that. And this one is on everybody's mind. But Amber and Winona wondered, why are meds so expensive in the United States, in your opinion? Is it because pharmacists get all the, get all the money for them? <laughs> no, <laughs> often. You go, I'm going to tell you right now, it is, not the, it is not your clinic. It is not your pharmacist. No. It is not me. We're not the ones that are driving that. Um, You know, honestly, the reason why prescription drugs are so expensive in the United States is capitalism. Yeah. It's yeah. a market-driven system. It is. It is. Um, due to our lack of regulation, I suppose, um, we are kind of ripe for exploitation when it comes to what we're being charged for prescription medications. There probably isn't enough competition, and there's been a lot of consolidation in the drug industry with different companies mm-hmm. buying each other up. So, And I know it's a political conversation, but I belong to a physician organization that has an opinion on this. So, you know, it's our, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Medicare, probably the largest buyer of medications mm-hmm. in the country. I don't know if it's the largest, but must be, mm-hmm. cannot, is prohibited mm-hmm. from negotiating drug prices. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. simply must pay what the pharmaceutical companies want to charge. So, right. you know, it is a, it's a market-driven system. Yeah. Well, thank you. That was, uh, uh, <laughs> everybody's probably got opinions about why medications are so expensive. Yeah, but, it's, a, uh, it's a cynical answer, but it's I think it's true. Related to that, you know, okay, so people have out-of-pocket expenses, Laurie, for, mm. for their meds. I wonder how much people have to spend. Stat- 
statistics say that for the average individual, their prescription drugs cost $1,200 a year. That's not necessarily out-of-pocket cost. In terms of what patients are paying, I think it varies widely. Mm -hmm. Where you live, Minnesota, I think, is one of the better places to live in terms of getting coverage for prescription drugs. And then, too, obviously, like if you're employed or not and what kind of insurance your employer offers. And so... Yeah, really, really variable. It's it's truly an issue in our in our healthcare uh, our system. Definitely. So we've been talking to Dr. Lori Wilhite. She is a doctor of pharmacy at Hennepin Healthcare, a colleague of mine. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, Dr. Hilton. I enjoyed it. It's been great having you on, and I hope we can get you on a future show. I'd love that. I want to thank you all for tuning into this episode, and be sure to browse the archives for previous shows, including the one on opioids, which is episode three with Dr. Charlie Reznikoff. And I hope you'll tune in for our next episode. And in the meantime, be healthy and be well. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden. To keep up to date with the latest in healthcare and your health, visit our website at healthymatters.org. And if you have a question or comment for the doctor, email us at healthymatters at hcmed.org or give us a call at 612-873-TALK. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support us, please leave us a review and share the Healthy Matters podcast with your friends and family. The Healthy Matters podcast is made possible by Hennepin Healthcare in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and engineered by John Lucas at Highball. Executive producers are Jonathan Comito and Christine Hill. Please remember, we can only give general medical advice during this program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have more serious or pressing health concerns. Until next time, be healthy and be well.